good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. I want to turn the Word of God to Mark chapter 11. And let's read from the verse number 20. Let's hear the Word of God. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursedest is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, and be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye ought against any, that your Father, also which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. The heart of true prayer is when our hearts are truly engaged in prayer. We can learn the right words. We can say the right words. And yet I think we all know that we can say the right words in prayer and without really praying. I'm not sure we know much of the experience of Mark 11, verse 24, where Christ said, What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. I appreciate this is a much misused and abused and misunderstood text. Yet let's, at this stage, simply accept the fact that we don't know much of its reality in our church life. Real prayer requires real faith. That's clear from verse number 22, which leads into the verses, and Jesus answering saith unto them, have faith in God. Real prayer requires real faith. We shouldn't miss the point that real prayer also requires a forgiving spirit. Verse 25 and 26 should not be neglected regarding the importance of when we pray that there is no horizontal hindrance in our relationships. We have no right to expect God to hear our prayers when we're harboring bitterness and an unforgiving spirit against our brethren. That hinders unity in prayer, that hinders the agreement that should take place in prayer. That's not my subject for tonight. I just simply uh, want to acknowledge that I'm not neglecting verse 25 and 26. But my thought is that we should spend some time tonight thinking about the matter that real prayer requires real faith or true prayer requires true faith. Faith in God is always expressed in prayer. Where there is no prayer, there is no true faith. And when we have faith, that's always expressed in the attitude of prayer. We think of the, the Psalm 62, where we're told to trust in the Lord at all times and then pour out our hearts before him. Where there is no prayer, there is no faith. But not only is true faith expressed in prayer, prayer itself must be exercised in faith. 
Verse 22 again of Mark 11, have faith in God. Faith in God is the necessity. It's vital for prayer to be true. So when we come to believe in God, we will then come to the place of prayer. But when we come to the place of prayer, we must also make sure that prayer itself is engaged in in the attitude of faith in God. Never forget Hebrews 11 verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you're going to come to God. You must believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Prayer must be. Must be conducted in the attitude of faith. And it's that, it's that theme that I want to leave before you uh, tonight in a, in a few moments. I want us all to again examine our hearts. Have we really prayed this year? And then, will we pray next year? And will we seek God's face next year in these places uh, according to the grace of God? So the first thing then is this. Believing prayer holds on to the presence of God. Verse 22 again, Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Prayers mentioned verse number 24. What things, soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. The Lord is teaching on the subject of prayer. And as he does so, he then is instructing the disciples that if they're going to properly engage in prayer, then they must have faith in God, in God that he is. And prayer, prayer for our children, our young people is taught and learned. But true prayer believes that there's a God. So fundamental. Uh, and yet, perhaps if we're honest, there are times we pray, and if we're being honest, we say, well, I am simply praying to this room. And there is no higher being. There is no all-powerful God. And therefore, when we pray such prayers, that's not praying. If you're going to pray, you must have faith in God. Young people, let me be clear on this. Your religion is nothing if you have not faith in God that he is and that he's the reward of those that diligently seek him. In prayer, we approach God to do what only God can do. And if there is no God, then there is no point in prayer. Prayer is a genuine experience. I would never, ever want any of you to engage in in prayer when you have no conviction that God is. And so prayer, in its very foundation, holds on to the presence of God. But believing prayer also holds on to the power of God. Verse 23 Deals with this, and we'll come to this text very, very shortly. But it has this idea of saying to a mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. And at the core of that is a a recognition that prayer asks for things that are difficult. There, There are many aspects, of course, to God's being. But if we're going to engage in believing prayer, we must have convictions and faith regarding the the power of God. When we don't believe in what God can do, a hindrance in the progress of the gospel. But with faith in prayer, nothing, we'll see what that means, nothing is impossible. The Lord himself said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. 
And so true prayer, let me put it this way, true prayer unleashes the power of God. Which leads to the third thing, and that is that believing prayer pleads the purposes of God. And here I'm thinking about verse number 24. What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. We must never read this and conclude that we have the right to ask what we want and get it. The greatest antidote to the health, wealth, and prosperity false gospel is the consideration of Jesus Christ. The man of perfect faith. He was poor and had not a place to lay his head. If ever you get... You know, pressurized to um, embrace some sort of attitude whereby you can ask God, and if you have faith, God will bless you materially. Please go back and think once more of Christ. Genuine faith exists in a renewed heart. The spirit that adulterates verse number 24 is a selfish spirit. It is a desire that God would do what we want him to do. God would bless us materially. Genuine faith exists in the renewed born again heart. And one of the consequences of the rebirth is to remove us from self-advancement. It is that we have the attitude of Christ. That we seek not our own. And there's that lack of selfishness in the renewed heart. And so to say that these prayers are offered in genuine faith is actually to turn the gospel on its head. For true faith comes in the reborn heart, and the reborn heart seeks the advance of others and the advance of God's kingdom above personal prominence and prosperity. So the faith that abused this verse is man-made. It's not the gift of God, but... More than that, we should understand verse number 24 in its proper setting and context. It's a genuine faith that exists in the reborn heart. It's also the genuine faith that is based on the word of God. Faith is not in our imagination or our inventions, but faith lays hold on the promises of God. Faith lays hold on the purposes of God. And the concept here of mountains being removed is not just plucked from nowhere by the Lord. The Lord, when he speaks of mountains being removed, is using language that is grounded in the Old Testament scriptures. Now, he's speaking in terms of figurative language, language that is, is not literal. Let me be clear on what I'm saying here. The Lord Jesus regularly uses figures of speech. He spoke in parables often. There was many times he used figures to express truth. And that a figure of speech is being used here is clear. And the command to remove a mountain is clearly figurative. That's actually very obvious on the very surface. The Lord says about the mountain in verse number 23, and then immediately he talks about prayer in verse number 24. He's not suggesting that people go around to various mountains and tell them to, to go into the sea. It's clear that what's in view here is that when we go to the mountain and say, be there removed, that that is to teach us regarding the subject of prayer. 
But there's one other important thing. You will, you will note in the context of Mark, Mark chapter 11, there is a reference to the fig tree. The fig tree is mentioned when they come from Bethany in verse number 12. Uh, they see a fig tree with leaves, but there's no fruits. And the Lord says in verse 14, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. So there's context here of this fig tree. But turn back to, to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, and here Matthew gives us uh, some more details than Mark gives us. Uh, Matthew it says in verse number 21 regarding Jesus, How Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say anything unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. So the Lord here draws a parallel between the cursing of fig tree and the removing of a mountain. And he says to the disciples, if you faith, you can do what I've just done to this fig tree. Now we have absolutely no record of the disciples going around uh, the, the Palestine area cursing fig trees. And what is clearly being shown is the Lord is using a physical illustration of how he cursed a fig tree to teach them lessons regarding the matter of prayer. They'd understand what prayer is like. And so Mark doesn't give it that detail. Matthew does. And so what the Lord is teaching them is that there's a figure of speech here, something that they can learn about. And so what does this concept of mountains being moved, where does it come from in the Old Testament? Well, to begin with, uh, Jeremiah 51 uh, gives us one clue in that direction. Well, it's, not the, it's not the entire answer. But Jeremiah 51, and the verse number 25 speaks of the promises of God to judge Babylon. And as the Lord speaks to Babylon, he says this, Behold, I am against thee, O destroying mountain, saith the Lord, which destroyest all the earth. And so here the Lord takes the, takes the image of a mountain and uses that uh, as, a, as a word to denote the entire nation. It's a destroying mountain, a destroying nation. But turn then to Zechariah chapter 4. And I think Zechariah 4 is, is indeed the portion that the Lord has in mind when he teaches the disciples regarding prayer. Zechariah chapter 4 and the verse number 7. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof, his shoutings crying, Grace, grace unto it. And the history here is of Zerubbabel and the work of rebuilding the temple after the captivity. And there is much opposition and many obstacles. And the Lord is encouraging Zerubbabel, verse number 6. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. This is the encouragement. You will succeed. And the great mountains, whatever those mountains may be, those great obstacles are going to be flat. They're going to be flattened like a plane. And as they're flattened, and then Zerubbabel will bring forth the headstone, the headstone of the temple, with shoutings crying, Grace, grace unto it. And so the image here is of God flattening those obstacles in the progress of his will in this world. 
And so what are they asking for? Well, think of those two things together. What are they asking for in Mark chapter 11? Well, I think in part they're, they're being told by the Lord to pray for God's promised judgment to be fulfilled. Note in Matthew and in Mark, the words are very clear. Verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, the fig tree illustration, paralleled with the mountain being moved, the fig tree illustration is clearly an indictment upon the people of God at the time of Christ. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He goes to the fig tree, and there's no fruit of true religion. And so verse 15 of Mark 11, Jesus goes to the temple and casts out them that are sold and bought in the temple. And so after the fig tree is cursed, there's then the event that demonstrates that the people of God have left off true faith. Uh, This house was a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And then this mountain, parallel to the fig tree, is a reminder that judgment is going to fall upon the mountain upon which Jerusalem stands. Remember the lady at the well. Where is God worshipped? This mountain, Samaria, or the mountain of Jerusalem? And the Lord says, no, those are going to worship God in spirit and in truth. Not in this mountain or that mountain, but, but in spirit and in truth. And so I believe that what's in view here is the Lord is saying to them, I will come and I will judge my people who've rejected my word. You can pray for that and it will certainly come to pass. But what's also true is that the Lord is telling them to pray for obstacles to the progress of the gospel to be removed. He's encouraging them in the spirit of Zechariah to pray for the mountains to be made into a plain, for the mountains to be flattened, the mountains that are obstacles to the advance of the gospel. Remove those mountains so that the gospel can go forward. And so, when you think of what we spread in Matthew chapter 21, the disciples would do these things and also move mountains, we actually see that the disciples did exactly what they're told to do here. They did pray these prayers, and they saw the mountains removed and being made into a plain. Because what happens in the disciples' own experience? Well, the gospel of salvation by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, did actually overcome fallen apostate Judaism. They face many challenges. You get to Acts chapter 15 and what happens? The, the, the Judaizers are trying to overthrow the gospel. You, you've got to be circumcised and, and do all these things to be saved. And the disciples, they, they oppose that. And they press on through as God flattens that mountain. And they see the gospel progressing in the will of God. And so the figure of speech being used here in Mark chapter 11. In the context of Faith and prayer means that no task that is in harmony with God's will is impossible to be performed by those who believe and do not doubt. By faith, it is possible for us 
to see obstacles to the gospel overcome. By faith, it is possible for us to pray prayers that will see the progress of the gospel. What we see in these verses is God's ability to do what seems to be impossible. We have in our own minds what might happen and what good could God could possibly do. But we've, we've lost faith in a God who can do what seems to be impossible. Particularly doing what seems to be impossible in the furtherance of the gospel. God is able to do what seems to be impossible in the furtherance of the gospel in answer to prayer. That's the other aspect that blows our minds. You may come tonight and say, well, I can see how God can do the impossible. He's the almighty God. I can see how God can do the impossible in the gospel because that's his eternal will. But what we see in this verse is God can do the impossible in furthering the gospel in answer to believing prayer. And so don't let, don't let the qualifications take away the incredible nature of this promise. It's not a promise to be generally applied for every desire we may have in our hearts. It's not a promise that we should use to have wild imaginations and prayer and allowing our prayer meetings to become chaotic imaginations. No, this, this is a promise that should instruct us and and revive our hearts when we come to pray the will of God. When we come to pray for the advance of the gospel. For in these verses we find that prayer invokes the almighty arm of God. And so believing prayer certainly holds on to the presence of God and the power of God, pleads the purpose of God, and is patient in the pleasure of God. We are clear in understanding that it is God's good pleasure to perform his will in answer to prayer in his own good time. It's one point of what believing prayer involves. It involves a a patience, a waiting upon God to do his will in his time. There's a very interesting thing at the end of verse number 24. At the moment of prayer, the Lord says, What? Things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them. The grammar is very clear in this verse. And it has the sense of believe that ye have already received them. You will see that even in the Old English, it does not say believe that ye will receive them. But rather believe that ye receive them when you pray. Believe that you receive them at the moment you pray. Faith in prayer has the confidence that God will answer. Yes, in line with what just already noticed, but believing that God will indeed answer when we pray those prayers. Don't miss this. Look what it says. When you pray, believe that ye have received them and ye shall get them. Put it this way. Believe that you have, and you shall get. One writer puts it this way. To faith, God's promises are as good as his performance. To faith, God's promises are as good as his performance. What's that mean? If God has promised it, it's as good as if it's already done. 
And that's the spirit of believing prayer when it comes to the gospel. We know that Christ is guaranteed to see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. We know that God will gather together Christ's church. We know those things. And so we pray in the understanding that God is certainly going to do his will. And that is my very firm conviction. That as long as God has placed a church in this area, it is for the very purpose of saving souls in this area. That's just, that's just common sense logic. As long as there's a gospel witness, it is because there are souls to be saved through this place. And so when we pray for God to save souls, we can pray believing that is already answered. And then what's it say? Ye shall have them. Those desires according to God's will for the furtherance of the gospel, for the salvation of souls. And those prayers certainly going to be fulfilled. But we understand that ye shall have them involves that we may have to wait for them. I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear. At length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear. That metrical version of Psalm 40 is, again, it's, it's a wonderful, vivid description of what it is to pray. At length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear. And so faith that believes in God is a faith that will not be weary and well-doing for in, in due season. We shall reap if we faint not. That's not, that's not a convenient preacher's tool to excuse unanswered prayer. It is the reality of the ways of God. And if only we could see what can be done through believing prayer. You know, I believe with all of my heart that God sovereignly determines whatsoever comes to pass. But I, I would never, ever want to take a marker and scrub out Mark 11, verse 24, where it says, What things do we desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, you shall have them. The Lord himself put those words into the Bible. Have we any understanding of what it is to pray with faith. Are we really praying? Are we really laying hold upon God's promises in the conviction that God is obligated to hear our prayers and do what he's promised to do? I think the language of the man in Luke 17 comes to mind, Lord, increase, increase my faith. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.